He turned to the table. "'Good night, gentlemen,' he said, looking at each of them with the same oddly scornful expression. "'I owe about fifteen thousand pounds. I will accept Mayor's addition.' He leant forward and picked up his cigarette-case lighter. Then he looked again at Bond and spoke very quietly, the red moustache lifting slowly from the splayed upper teeth. "'I should spend the money quickly, Commander Bond.' Welcome to the James Bond Complex. I'm Matt. I'm Edgar. Today we are talking about the third book written by Ian Fleming. As previously mentioned in our very first episode, that's my favorite, and that's also your favorite. At this point, yes. yes. I mean, we still have about a dozen books left to read, but we've now read three of them. Mm-hmm. I will continue to argue that uh, this is my preferred one thus far. Thus far, it is mine too. Although Casino Royale is... Good. You know what? We'll discuss it when we go through the book, but I feel like Moonraker is Casino Royale 2.0 because there's a lot of plot events that are very, very similar, mm. but the villain's better and the Bond girl is better too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know if the villain is better. I, I am. I do have a big soft spot for Le Chiffre in the book. But I think there's something very uh, entertainingly, entertainingly extravagant about uh, dear Sir Hugo Drax. He's a knight in the book, I think. He's Sir uh, Hugo Drax. Yes, he's. So, um, is he? He is, he is. <laughs> we call him Sir. He, he's very entertaining. We'll get to reasons why. As for the Bond girl, uh, Galabrand, I completely agree. I mean, our Bond ghosts have been getting progressively mm-hmm. better. We've gone from Vesperlin, who was, and mm-hmm. I still remember this to this day, <laughs> an amorphous blob. To Solitaire, who's interesting. More a damsel in distress. Bit of a damsel in distress, I'll agree with you on that. To someone who is, uh, we'll get into it as we go along, but an actual character. This, yeah. is, this is a character. This is a human being. Yeah, she does. She, 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 well, you mean Galabrin. Oh, yes. She does things. She's competent. So um, I'll start with my resume. Uh, Please this do. Might take a while, but. What is I, this book about? Uh, mm, 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 mm. Monday. Hugo Drax, the Columbite King, an industrialist's and self-made millionaire, has built and donated the Moonraker, a nuclear missile capable of reaching the capitals of every country in Europe. On the verge of the weapon's initial test, M, the head of MI6, has discovered something rather unusual about Drax's true nature. He cheats at cards. To avoid a potential scandal and teach the so-called Columbite King a lesson, M arranges for James Bond, secret agent 007, to meet Drax at the Blaze Gentleman's Club for a high-stakes game of bridge. Thanks to his sharp card skills and the influence of Benzedrine, Bond manages to cheat the cheater and beats Drax, earning quite a lot of money. But Drax's last words to Bond sound strange. Spend the money quickly, Commander Bond. Tuesday... Wednesday, after security officer Valen at the Moonraker project is killed in a bizarre murder-suicide, 007 is dispatched to investigate in order to make sure that the upcoming weapons test is a success. He is greeted by Drax and his cohorts, a creepy group of bald Germans with mustaches, and Galabran, a policewoman posing as Drax's secretary. While exploring the project's grounds, Bran and Bond barely survived an attempt made on their life 
by way of a landslide created by Krebs, one of Drax's men. Thursday, Friday. Growing suspicious of Drax, God makes the horrific discovery of the true purpose of the Moonraker's test. And it is, in fact, aimed at the heart of London, armed with a nuclear weapon. After capturing Bond and Bran, Drax proudly reveals his true origins. He is, in fact, a Nazi. He is masqueraded as an English gentleman, gained wealth and influence over the, his adopted country in order to avenge Germany's loss in World War II. Left to be burned alive by the rocket's exhaust, 007 manages to escape and reprogram the weapon so that it falls in the ocean and destroys the Russian sub that Drax is using to make his escape. After saving England from nuclear Armageddon, Bond expects to spend some quality time with Gala, but ends up alone as she plans to marry her fiancé after going through this horrific ordeal. Now we know what the book is about. This is a really interesting one for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, James Bond, as we know, is with MI6. That is mm -hmm. international espionage. He's not supposed to be operating on home soil. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, due to uh, very interesting circumstances, something MI6 somehow suggested someone to work with Hugo Drax in England on the project, but this person is uh, assassinated, as we learn early in the story. Therefore, MI6 still gets to work on this and send James Bond. But the point is, James Bond works in England. He does not set foot outside of the country, which is very inhabitual. It's not going to happen again in the books, I don't think. I don't think so. And it's never happened in so the Maybe movie. in the short story. What, maybe you you could be right. Maybe there's a short story I'm forgetting about. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. I mean, uh, but I don't think he, uh, he stays... Um, Bond as much as he does in this novel and any other of the other books. Yeah, at least it's a nice time of year. It's, it's supposed to be late May, I think. Yeah, like, it's it has to be in the summer months because he goes swimming in. in that's true, right? <laughs> he comments on the food at Blades, like, "Oh, English cooking, the best English cooking is the best in the world, uh, <laughs> especially at this time of year." And I think he says it's May or something, so the vegetables are nice. I, I like this book a lot, and I think a lot of that has to do, ironic, with the fact that he stays homebound as you said it, it makes it feel a bit more intimate more immediate mm. bond is english he must save england i mean london is in peril in this story and he does it on home soil so it does add a bit of a different flavor uh this time around it's actually one of the reasons why i i like it a lot actually it's not not part of the reason why i like this book the most but uh, it is uh, part of the um, of the experience, I guess, uh, in reading this book. It's very Anglo-centric. I like the villain. Like I said, I love Hugo Drax. I find him annoying. I find him obnoxious. And, he, and the plot to destroy England and the structure of the book, well, the, the, the fact that the villain has a plot to destroy a city feels like m something from the movies. It does. It does. It's this could as it is written in the book this could have been a movie i think what's really cool about this book as well i mean you and i are not english we've never lived in england but i think we know our history a little bit our 20th century history mm -hmm. what happened in world war ii you know the german bombs going going off above london you know mm -hmm. regularly and, and various parts in england 
it's often been said by scholars, fans, you know, oh, James Bond was the perfect fantasy that the English needed in the post-World War II era when food was being rationed and this and that. So there was a sort of, by reading a Bond book or watching a Bond film, you sort of luxuriated as an Englishman, as a Brit, you luxuriated in something that really as an ordinary Tom, Dick, and Jane, you probably didn't get to do. True. What's fun about this book is that here we have a character in Hugo Drax who is, quote, an English hero, mm -hmm. end quote. He gets to live that lifestyle. He is a national icon. This man, thanks to the Moonraker, this beautiful silver bullet, I think, as, as it's, or a pen, I think, as it's described at one point, this man will go down in history as, clearly, there's no debate, greatest Englishman ever in the yeah. history of Englishmen. He's trying to make uh, England great again. Absolutely. They're very well. I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there, Matthew. I'm Ooh, proud. So witty. Um, but of course, as, as, as you enlightened us in your plot synopsis, and obviously if you've read the book, that's not at all what he's trying to no. do. <laughs> he's certainly trying, trying to change the course of English history. <laughs> but I like, I like the fact, very smart of Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming is a clever, clever writer. You take the British psyche, at the time, obviously, mm -hmm. you take that British psyche, you take what that psyche needs, uh, high-class living, uh, iconicity, someone people will recognize, people, someone people can cheer for. This yeah. man survived World War II. The poor bastard, we found him in the rubble after an explosion of some sort in Germany. This man is, he is, in, he is English greatness personified. And then we find out his ulterior, his, his true, not ulterior, but his true motivation. And his true nature, absolutely. I love, love the fact that Ian Fleming plays on that. I think that is brilliantly diabolical. I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, that's why there's many reasons why uh, he's my favorite, prob well, so far my favorite villain, but he's a Nazi. Uh, you <laughs> you Have you watched Inglorious Bastards, people? <laughs> he's a Nazi. He's a Nazi. I mean,. Uh, the only other villain from memory that's probably going to be uh, close to it is probably uh, Blofeld when we get to him. And even then, I, I'm, I'm, I, my, my heart is set on Drax. Drax is awesome. I, you know what? It's going to be interesting reading that Blofeld trilogy because th th those are the later ones. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones I haven't read as, as often. Much. So I don't remember Blofeld very well from the books. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. It, we'll cross that bridge yeah. when we get to it. <laughs> no spoilers yet. So, um, book starts with M, uh, with M. The book starts with Bond going through, uh, some type of exercise yeah pr interesting way to start the book i think i feel that first chapter fleming is luxuriating in the the technology that's at play oh this flashing light and an image of bond and there's a shaft of or thin thin shaft of of light over his heart in the image which indicates that the machine against which bond was competing it's a firing range it's a practice firing range the machine against he, which he was competing won, won. i suppose I feel it's a fun chapter. It's an interesting way to start the book. I'm not sure what the point is other than, oh, look at the cool shit MI6 has to practice shooting. I don't know. I love the fact that he mentioned that they kind of bug him about like being shot. They tease him about it. Secretly, he's actually the best shot. He's yeah. Like that's a way of that's their way of saying even uh, I think it's Judy Dench in one of the movies that says, oh, yeah, I won't tell him, but he's the best, best agent. So 
that's why we follow I think Bond. That's in your favorite movie. Uh, no, Die on a Day. It's my favorite movie. Okay. It has a lot of similar things to uh, uh, like Moonraker. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I mean, w logically, we're going to review Moonraker, the film, in in the next episode. But we kind of could have done a double header, I guess, with Moonraker and Die Another Day. Yeah, but, oddly enough, um, but we'll uh, save. We'll save yeah. Die Another Day for another time. Licking our chops. Um. So yeah. Um, we we see oh we see a lot of things at his office that I like. There's something. There's a quote about Mondays, yeah. And he talk. About, <laughs> it's Monday morning mm -hmm. at the my six. Mm -hmm. What are, what's their first discussion? Oh well, this morning uh, we had uh, motor car uh, accidents. Um, that we had uh, weekend slaughter. Blah blah blah. They, they they talk about missions that they had to do during the weekend, like it's. Eh. There are a lot of neat little details in Moonraker, the book, that I feel, maybe it's because I'm misremembering the other novels, certainly in relation to the two we read recently, Casino Royale and Live and Let Die, Moonraker offers interesting little insights to Bond's job. Yeah. He likes going on a mission. He doesn't like spending time in the office and <laughs> these files. This Japanese new drug that's on the streets that's getting the kids to commit crime. And Bond stops reading it going, why am I reading this? <laughs> what is the point? When am I going to use this information? So it's interesting because it, it uh, enables us to, to get into Bond's psyche a little bit more, although we, we did a little bit in the first two, two books. But now we really get to understand that this guy likes going on a mission. He is, he's not a, a desk jockey. And it looks like a boring job when you're not saving the world. He, he, and it, he's not. Um, I I verified that he's not paid that much. He doesn't make that much money. It comes up later on, but it's not the best paying job ever. It isn't one of the first few bets he makes at, at Blades when they start the bridge game? He, he sort of thinks to himself, "Oh crap! I've just bet my year's salary yeah, or something." Like something that. like that. One hand. The old details that uh, oh I, I mentioned th this I, I put that notes into this because it becomes major plot lines werewolves German uh, that passed themselves as English people that was actually a big fear they had apparently there there it was never actually a real problem but that was uh, I guess part of the psychological warfare they were mm -hmm. doing German passing themselves as as English and the Columbite. I was wondering if it's actually a real. Is that a real thing? It is a real thing. I, I, I even I wanted to have have my sister, my sister and my brother actually both engineers, so I wanted them uh, read the the chapter. I never had the time to make them read, but from the Wikipediaing, Wikipediaing, you, you Wikipedia it. Uh, it's actually a, a real a real thing. It's a real uh, metal. I think it's used to make metal stronger. I don't think it's as rare and hard to find. Well, same thing. Maybe rare. not anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is from the fifties, and it it's probably not even necessary. They they make alloys. They look aluminum is some. It's a metal made by a chemical reaction. So they mm. they they make their own metals uh, these days. So they don't necessarily need to mine uh, metals all the time. I guess. Um, so I, those are things I've found amusing. Um, but again, it, it furthers the point of Drax being such a, an awesome guy. I mean, he's a self-made man, which in many respects, he is a self-made man. But again, it plays up on that, that the, 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 the English hero. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many lovely details about that character. 
Oh my God. The more you, oh, uh, we will get there when we get there, but the no, please go ahead. The more you talk about, uh, he's a self, he's not a self-made man. He had Russian investors. He's shrewd. He's shrewd. He's, he didn't spend his, he didn't, he's not really a self-made man. We'll get there when we get there. But you, I, I think uh, f- f- the comment I made earlier points towards my, my <laughs> thesis on this character. And it's not the, it's my interpretation, my 21st interpretation of this character. But we'll get, I, I, I'll get there when I get there. I love the, um, this chapter where he describes um, how he was trained to use cards. To shuffle mm. cards, and mm. I I made some research. Apparently, he, he talks about um, a, a book, Carney, on cards, and it's actually a real. Uh, there there are videos of this guy, the guy who wrote that book, and he shows card tricks. It's quite fascinating. Those are like probably fifty years old, and he got, the guy was already already in his fifties. But it's fascinating to look at. He's a magician. He's doing card tricks and so dexterous. I'm like wow. Sleight of hand, Slight almost. Of hand. Yeah. That was fascinating well i know that chapter also not only does it give the title and the author of this book but it provides the names of these tricks as well i mean i don't remember them i'm not much (laughs) of a card player myself but this chapter sort of goes on quoting a few of the the names the fancy names these tricks these sleight of hand tricks are known as so i mean clearly fleming knows his stuff he does his research uh, when, when he writes these books i i i know we're sort of backing up a little bit here but i do really like the chapter in, I think this is the third consecutive book where the second chapter is the M scene or mm-hmm. the M office scene because we get more of M but this, this time. But this is the first that is, uh, it's in, in um, it's in sequential the, order. Thank you. Chronological order of, of That's uh, what I, the events. Yeah. That's the first one that follows that when we go to baby. Yeah, because in the first two books, the M scene is a ba- is a flashback. I yeah. Think, yeah. But what I like is the very subtle, relaxed atmosphere between M and Bond this time around. In fact, Bond actually gets a little bit worried at first when his superior addresses him as James, James. I believe. Yeah. That gets him sweaty, <laughs> which in of itself is pretty funny. It says a lot about the kind of relationship they have. So I thought it was it's a very different M, M office scene. It was extremely entertaining for it. I, I like the way I like the fact that Fleming decides to branch out, and we get more of M too, because we we see M for another two or three chapters, because they obviously they're going to challenge uh, Drax at uh, Bridge. Yeah, we see him in uh, public life, which I yeah. found fascinating, because they censor his name when he uh, names himself. <laughs> I thought it was very cute. Uh, you know, he, uh, Bond at one point orders a uh, Chateau Mouton Rothschild. Mm. And they don't mention the price of the bottle, but I was curious. So I I did two things. I checked the price of um, what that bottle would be. Uh, I, I checked the time because I think it, I, remember, I don't remember the date, but I it's quite it's like about 10, 15 years old. So I put the uh, the equivalency of that particular bottle, what it would be if it was that old. Mm-hmm. It would be if based on my assumption today uh, around three hundred. Four hundred dollars for a bottle of uh, of uh, uh, Mouton Rothschild. Mouton Rothschild. Yeah, from nineteen ninety nine, and I checked also for a bottle from that era. I think it's uh, close to a thousand dollars. So I'm not buying you one. Uh, uh, shoot, it's not my birthday. So, so basically, what you're saying is Bond and, and M enjoyed themselves. I know M doesn't take it. I don't think Bond only has it. Does he not? Uh, yeah. Bond, M M is a little bit Bond more. Bond gets about what he wasted and. He doesn't and just high to us to agree. Oh my god! Verify after that, amphetamines are close to um, 
um, um, what's the drugs that uh, um, there's a ter- term there's a, uh, an epidemic of that drug oh uh, opioid oh, it's, it's clo- I don't know we don't know what it is in English <laughs> it, it, uh, uh, opioid opoid opoids opioids it's close painkiller right yeah it's, it's close it's similar from what the reading it's not very far from it but it, 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 it's almost like cocaine basically it, like one of the ways that I heard that you can actually make amphetamines is to cut cocaine really another fascinating Thing, which I discovered on the documentary. It's on Netflix. I don't remember what's the number, the name of the documentary, but it's on World War II, and they talk about um, um, how World War II was won. And one of the things that uh, was used to win World War II was drugs. Most of the drugs, the drugs that are being dealt today, were first used by soldiers in World mm. War II. It's fascinating. Like cocaine, like Captain America was on cocaine. He's hooked on cocaine. Uh-huh. A hell of a drug that that cocaine. I I I can. That's not. It's not something you would think of just off the cuff. But learning it isn't particularly surprising. I mean, when you're at war, mm. you're battered, you're bruised, you're psychologically beaten as well. So yeah, I guess you would give soldiers some sort of a stimulus, yeah. if you could call it that. So Take I, I the guess edge off. in a perverse way, that kind of makes sense. You know? Well, it's fascinating. Uh, I mean, uh, who were the first drug dealers? Hells Angels. <laughs> the generals who? and the colonels. <laughs> no, but who, who were the Hells Angels at the beginning? There were former uh, soldiers that mm. came back from the war. Mm. And they, 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 had a, they had a first taste and they started giving it. That way, I guess. I, I, I don't know. So you, they did it the Canango way, where they give a little bit for free, yeah. and then yeah. they, they jack up the price. So I, that, that's, my, that's my take on drugs. Very interesting take. I mean, you, you obviously read up uh, much more on the, on this, the uh, topic than, than myself, but what you're saying sounds like it makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Le Chief does Benzinger in the first book. I think he does, yeah. He does it uh, by an or Banda takes a. It sounds such like a seventies. The way that the way that describe how he does. Uh, I was gonna say benzadrine. He just uh, he takes a powder and dumps it in his drinks. I'm like, it's tasteless, right? Odorless and tasteless. Because he puts it in the champagne, yeah. which annoys. And like M thinks the pepper in the vodka is kind of interesting, but the benzadrine in the champagne annoys M. He says, oh, don't worry, it doesn't taste anything. Yeah. So and uh, he argues that he'll need that. He needs his wits about him this evening, and he needs to. He needs to act like a drunk. drunk. And he needs a little bit of overconfidence. And I think we get a bit of both <laughs> as the Definitely. chapter goes along, especially the overconfidence going back to that, uh, oh, F, I've bet I've my entire my year's salary. <laughs> the hell am I doing? I don't understand Bridge. Uh, honestly, I, it, it, no, I mean, you know. it kind of bored me. But at the same time, I, I, I love that part for the dialogue. Yeah, and the intensity. There's a lot of character development through dialogue and physical descriptions, particularly Drax. We do get to, uh, you know, obviously his true identity is revealed much later, but just as a personality, we do learn a lot about him in this chapter. He's very fidgety. He's very. He's a stressed out man. Uh, Very acerbic. Competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I like. There's this, uh, I remember, because actually on the way over to, to meet you earlier today, I actually I was reading a few uh, passages myself, and I like it when uh, Bond and, and M are having dinner. It's, this is before the bridge game. They're at Blades, they're having dinner, and Bond makes a remark. You know, he goes on, he says, yeah, well, you know, he's very successful. He's a 
bit of a dick, but he's successful. <laughs> but you know, there is something funny about him. The jokes. There's no. There's no lightness of touch about them. You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Apparently, he says that with a bit of um, viciousness to it. Like, there's nothing uh, delicate about this yeah, man. He's a braggart. He reminds me of. Uh of somebody I that 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 has a similar uh, Who could you be talking attitude. About? I don't know. He might be a politician. I don't. We're know. not political at the James Bond complex. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. But um, fair point, nevertheless. He he is of that per- without. We won't name name, but he is of that personality. Yeah, uh, very much so. Actually, he's very, not. A, he's uh, an industrialist as opposed to a politician. But you could baby baby. You could uh, definitely swap. Those two professions and and Hugo Drex would fit right in with you know where you know you know who is right now. So, yeah, um, that's uh, terrifying. I I liked him because he's such a he's he's a bit of an ass. Oh, he's fun. He's fun. And again, third book in a row. Ian Fleming's f- descriptions of the characters, physicality, love it. The red hair, the, the different scars. eyes, the scars, the different eyes. The right eye is like, larger than this uh, than like, the left eye. Kind of like yeah. Uh, no, he's he. I mean, in, 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 if there's only one thing we would defend Hugo Drax on, he is a victim of of wartime. So you know, he he required plastic surgery to you know, recover to to the best of of, of his physical abilities, I suppose. So he needed plastic. He required plastic surgery, but the results were uh, the guy's alive. But aesthetically, the results were questionable. Yeah, <laughs> say it that way. I love that. I love it. I love Hugo Drake. I love you, man. I don't love you, but I love you. I, I love hating you. Oh, I, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. I love hating you. There's hate, hate, and then there's I hate you, but then I, I enjoy hating you. No, he's just charming. Yeah, in his own way, <laughs> he's kind of charming. It's like, oh, you're such a dick, but. Eh. And we find out that he is a cheater. Uh, he is. That's nasty little bastard. He uses a uh, a well, silver, very shiny, very pristine uh, uh, cigarette case, case. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, when he's dealing the car once every four deals, when it's his turn to deal, he uh, subtly, I, th- I believe most card players do, that. you know, you look downwards when you're dealing the cards, but he has this cigarette case so he can see the cards he's doing and he has a great memory. So the cheat. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't. I, I Bond tricks uh, tricks his own deck of cards and manages to cheat the cheater. Can I stop you for a moment and ask you a question? Yes. Do you fully comprehend how? I mean, I get he pr- he took ten minutes after supper to play with the cards. To, do you understand what he did? No. I don't understand what he did. I think no, actually, I th- I I have to remember because he talks about. There's all, even a picture of their their hands. Oh, like just. okay, but you no, know, I listened to the audiobook version, and that probably did probably uh, made it even more uncomprehensible. <laughs> unlike Casino Royale, unlike to an extent Living and Die, I feel Moonraker feels like the first time where Fleming spends a a bit of time. In a female character's mm-hmm. head. We are with Galabrant for a few passages, and like Bond's not around. He, mm-hmm. He's not there. So I kind of thought that was an interesting... I, I hadn't read Moonraker in a bit, so I had forgotten that he did that. And he makes her... You know, I think we, we were constantly waxing poetic about Ian Fleming. I, I'm sure he doesn't need any more praise than we have already given, but... I kind of respect that. Like, I don't know how many authors would have done that to not just include a major female 
strong female character like that, but to actually get into her head at a at a time early mid fifties where I would a lot of authors think of doing that? Maybe maybe I'm being too I don't know generalized. It's, I don't know, but I thought that was kind of cool. It's Fleming. You don't expect it from Fleming. It's probably more because you, of the author. Probably, yeah. he's a known. Uh, well, he's a, uh, uh, he's a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, man, and a racist and a homophobic. Yes, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we love him because of that. <laughs> if much. they if they made Bond James Bond uh, uh, a nice guy, uh, really respectful. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't swear. Um, he uh, he goes to church. Uh, uh, he, 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 he family man. A family man. Family uh, values. Uh, family values. Well, it's not the character, and I don't care about that guy. I like yeah. my bond. Well, make him dirty. Make him dirty. Self-destructive is the term I, I I'd like to use. But uh, to go back to the book. Yeah, I know. I, I I and Gala Brandt herself is is really really cool because she even Bond's impressed by her. Bond when he assesses her. He, uh, he's like, oh, well, she could probably break my arm if she wanted to. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. He, he recognizes her as uh, somebody of uh, talent. He's not like he respects her as a policewoman. I think that's a big moment in the book when Bond figures out that he's working with someone that has his back. That ha- well, has his back. And if need be, she's going to take care of her business, even if Bond's not around. You know, if Bond is impressed by this character, we should probably be impressed yeah, well, by this character too. You know, by, by proxy, we are. That's uh, by design. That's why you wrote it this way, and it's brilliant. I mean, that, she's she's the first, and I understand why they didn't use the name Galbrand, but the character in uh, what's her name uh, that Rosamund Pike plays in Diary Day is meant to be Galbrand, but for obvious reason, they didn't. There's a they never used that character. Officially, uh, unofficially, they did, but I think there's a respect for that character. That's why they they they're like, you know what? We're keeping her. We'll we'll put we'll pull her in on cold eyes, but eventually we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to her because she's great. Hopefully. Hopefully, I love her. Like she's I, a lot of fun, and she's very. Um, she feels real. Maybe, uh, but uh, certainly unlike, unfortunately, uh, Vesper, our dear our beloved Vesper. And even though Solitaire, we liked her a bit more. Solitaire feels like a fantasy character. Yeah, to a large degree, yeah, I would agree with that. Galabrand, I she feels real. She's in a man's way. She seems to be the only woman. She is the only woman in the book, but on in this compound. In, in the this compound, compound, yes. So she's you know living in a man's world, quite literally. But despite that, yes, she is uh, professional and and taciturn when work working i'm using quotation mark working with drax when she's not around drax such as the beach scene when they're investigating before the the uh the uh disaster strikes she has some personality about her she can let her guard down and that's not a problem that's who she is she's tough when she needs to be tough and she's very nice and cute when she needs to be nice and cute she feels real there's nothing's forced and there's moments where a bunch forces a kiss on her and she and she doesn't like it at first she doesn't like it and she she tries to get him and they have a nice interaction it feels 
Yeah, it's it's fun. The flower joke, yeah. you know, flower. Uh, you pick a flower, and it, it screams. screams. Actually, know? that's th- that's based on on the, like the, the scientist you mentioned um, is actually real. Uh, I was I, I love those kinds of details. I know you do. That's why. Listen, I don't know if I'm I'm sure I've said this because we're at episode seven at this point. Matthew comes prepared. <laughs> I wing it. That's how we do it at the James Bond yeah. complex. What's well, part of the charm? I know you will do the research. <laughs> Drax and Krebs known each other for since yeah. the war. They haven't known Walter since the war. Walter is sort of the, not the third wheel. He's the scientist. They need him. But he, he's more new to that team than I think Krebs is. Oh, man. I, I, I want to talk about Krebs. Do you? Oh, God. I love them. I love them. The description of them. <laughs> I, I, the, the way. It seems kind of dopey. Yeah, but it, <laughs> he, he, he's like. He's great. He's like, ah. Oh, please. Why? And just, I love the description. because they, com- they They compare him. Oh, and he's such annoying because he's like slap happy when um, a bomb um, car crash. He's slap happy. Mm. They used, like, I was picturing uh, Peter Laurie, oh. a young Peter Laurie. And I, ironically, coincidences, um, uh, he, Peter Laurie played Le Chiffre in the 1950 TV version of, of yeah. Casino Royale. Bit of a, a blow that we yeah Matthew's like the, showing me a nice like uh, the um, like eyes uh, 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 wide spread apart yeah the, uh, kind Pasty of we- skin yeah kind of Weasley uh, with the mustache and baldness like just the fact there are a bunch of bald Germans with mustaches it you know what it reminded me uh, it reminded me of another movie uh, not Moonraker not Die Another Day actually the world is not enough because if you remember in that movie all the uh, Renard Henchmen are bald dudes that look exactly <laughs> like each other, and I like it. I like. We're. I, I'm going with it. I'm following you, brother. But it's 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 a cool concept. It's creepy a little bit. It's like it's a little too ostentatious. Drax makes an attempt to explain it at the end, but I'm like, that's still too ostentatious, bro, bro. <laughs> you could have not done that, you know. But anyways, though those those crazy Nazis and their ideas. Yeah, you can't explain them. Um, so I liked uh, a lot of references to art in this uh, um, art in this this book. The uh, pick, the, you know, you yeah. desc- especially at Blades. Yeah, especially oh, at Blades. Even uh, when he describes Galibrand, that's the paint, uh, the Marie Laurencin uh, painting. I think that's the while well, I'm showing uh, Edgar a pic. That's Galibrand. No, it's the other one, the one on the not left. the dog, not the dog. Oh, okay, I think that's what she meant. But she, she did, she does uh, that. Painter does a uh, very uh, impressionist. They're not very re- realistic, but the, the, the you give an impression of the person. So romantic, yeah, but romantic in the in that classical sort of literary sense, where it's like it's emotional, it's beautiful, not not necessarily. Uh, Heartstring, heartstring pulling romance, but uh, and even that blades. I don't know. I, I went to uh, the website of the actual uh, club that inspired it, and it's uh, you have to be a members. It's really like secret, secret. But high they, society, high rollers. It it looks like a a place. I, I don't. I think it did print. Where dreams but, come true. <laughs> no, but it looks like a place that probably still smells of cigars and cognac that were drank and smoked about a hundred years during ago. During Moonraker the book. Yeah, during <laughs> Moonraker the book. Yeah, I loved, actually before I left home today, I, I as I said, I, I permitted myself to reread a few pat- passages of the book. One of the ones I reread was 
uh, a couple paragraphs in which Fleming offers a, a visual, splendorous visual description of what the place looks like and the Hellfire Club and this painting and that painting and, and Frizel's or f what do they call those? Uh, stone and in the stone figures are carved. Friezes? I can't remember what it's oh. called. Adam's fireplaces and this and that. The, the, um, the pièce de résistance, <laughs> the little gas jet on the wall inside a, inside a cage. That's great. I love that. I love blades. I'd like I, to walk in I'd, I'd love to go. It's, it's, so those old general clubs are a little bit um, creepy in the 21st century because they're mm. very misogynistic. And I don't smoke. But I'll puff a cigarette if I can light it up with the uh, gas jet on the wall. <laughs> well, I love, I, I love myself a, a cigar every once in a while. Um, also, I love another reference. The, um, he talks about the, um, the compound. He, he compares it to a Dali painting. And that's, he does. I think that's the one with the melting clocks. I think that's the one he makes. Yeah, because he describes a, a, a vast horizon with something sticking out. Although there are a few. Th I've seen this before, the melting. This is one of his, I think, more famous, more no, well-known uh, Dali's. Um, do you think that's the one? I don't know Dali I, well enough to know I, if that's the one. I think that's the one they, they uh, describe, uh, the, the, the dessert. Um, the persistence of memory yep. is his name. I think that's the one. The beginning is great with the, the bridge game. <gasps> Fucking awesome. But there's all huge chunks where nothing happens. Not that nothing happens, but it's a lot of explaining, a lot of meet characters, blah, blah, blah. The way that the book is set up, there's no surprises. It's like Columbo. You know, <laughs> when, when you're lead, uh, the, the bad guy's name, Hugo Drax, you don't think, he, you know he's going to be a bad guy at one point. It's just no surprise. It's, there's no like surprise when it's revealed that he has a desperately plan to destroy London. You're, I, I can't, call you out and say you're wrong that said despite the fact that this was not the first time i read the book i kind of enjoyed those scenes where bond in his is in his room late at night looking at the charts of the land and the fingerprints on the charts of the notes and he's trying to i like add the characters together and he's not he can't seem to add it all together. Yes, in the back of our minds, Hugo Drax is clearly the antagonist. When and how that will be revealed, we don't know at this point. But I do like the... It's kind of a detective story. It's a, by way of Colombo. You know... The, no, but it's... it's it, Just one more thing. It's not negative. Well, it's, it is and it isn't. It builds characters, but there's no real surprise. No. You know where you're going, but I mean, it's like a Bond movie. You know what you're gonna get when you watch a Bond movie. There's, if you want to be honest, there's, it's, it's a recipe, but it you, tastes so different every time. You know what it's like? It's like from Russia with Love. The bad guys are introduced, who they are, what they want to do, how they're gonna do it at the start of the movie, and then we follow Bond. Or how it, we know what we know the trap Bond is going into. How's he going to escape it? Was yeah, it a little bit yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, sort yeah actually, of? you're right. Explain, mention this way, you're right. Because I like, as soon as uh, the first attempt on their life is made, the first serious attempt with the landslide, yeah. the, the book like lights up. It becomes like... Oh, yeah. Because when they, uh, they get the, the landslide dropped on them, not only are they... they, they 
they have to recover and like look like nothing happened. Yeah, I like that. I like that they wash up, they put their clothes on, they dry their clothes, then they go to the little inn that's outside of town and they come back. <laughs> And they, 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 underneath their clothes, they're 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 they're, oh, they're all tattered. They're yeah. completely battered and bruised. The, Worse, maybe. Beat, they're beaten. Um, I the, the, the description of their physical pain. I, maybe that's a passage where we spend less time with sort of Galabrand and more with Bond. But the description of the physicality and the pain they're experiencing to dislodge those rocks that are above them is incredible. Yeah, it's it reads like it hurts like all hell. And even uh, even when when the um, the the way that it's described the explosion when he because it's an explosion, uh, he's he's saying something and he describes how they were buried and like I know you mentioned previously that you love the way that explosions are described in the books and yeah yeah I love explosions this was amazing this was great notices a bird yeah and the bird flies off and in that instant he sort of realizes what the hell's going on boom explosion happens and then he wakes up under just, i guess a bunch of rubble not enough to have crushed them although it comes frighteningly close to crushing them yeah it's like i do like me some ian fleming boom boom i like some boom boom when it's in a fleming book it's it's uh, it's particularly well it you've it's it's written from the perspective as I'm assuming probably somebody who experienced something like that. Yeah. Again, it's what I like about those descriptions, although I still like how the boat blows up in Live and Let Die a little bit more, but the descriptions are... You took the words out of my mouth. It's someone who's there. You, you don't know an explosion is happening. You're just hearing sharp sounds and seeing... I'm blasted. Yeah, you're just experiencing it, and that's how he describes it. You can figure it's an explosion. Ian Fleming isn't telling you the wall exploded. He's saying, suddenly the sky became white as snow and the a bell rung thunderously in bonds. Yeah, but I, even ten times better than what I'm yeah. doing now. <laughs> oh, this is an explosion. This is what you feel and sound and hear when there's you an explosion. You don't understand it at when it's happening, but... Uh, Particular the way he described it's it. It's very colorful, very vivid. It's yeah. very, very vivid. It's very visceral. And I think we're, we're going to talk about the third part because uh, we're almost yeah. <laughs> an hour in. If you couldn't tell, we were enjoying the book. <sighs> yeah, I really love this book. Um, that's the car that he's driving. It's a Mercedes type 300S. Um, I took. They are ones that are roofless and well, convertible. Some are not convertible. Uh, I'm going to assume he probably has a convertible because it what was funny as I re reread it this time. Late in the story, when they're coming back from London and he's giving chase to Hugo Drax, suddenly, like Fleming says, and Bond took out the goggles from his compartment to, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's no roof on this car? I, I hadn't clued in that it was a car without a roof. Man, it's an old. Well, Bond's car is outdated. They think it's twenty years old. When uh, uh, in nineteen fifties, yeah, there's a book from the fifties, and in the fifties, his car is twenty years old. Yeah, no, it's completely outdated. It looks. It's silly for me to to think about somebody driving with goggles, but probably people still that did that type of driving at the time, I guess. But in two thousand seventeen. 
And and mm. does he? I think he drives an Aston Martin in one of the books. I'm not entirely certain, but he mm. changes car eventually. It would have to be some of the later ones. Once the uh, once uh, well, not even Doctor No or For Much Love. Once uh, Goldfinger became. And I think it's in Goldfinger. I'm not entirely certain, um, but yeah. This isn't man. That'd be kind of like Goldfinger is sixty four. The book is fifty seven or fifty eight. Huh. I we, I guess we'll we'll find out when we get to that book. I I don't remember him driving an Aston. I'll take your word for it. I'm not entirely certain, but um, this yeah. is a Bentley, right? It's, it's a, a Bentley. It's a Bentley. Yeah. I I love Crabs uh, with Gala because he's so creepy. He's so lecherous. He's li- he's so slimy. I know it's awesome. It's such a cre- it's, he's such a creep. And the mustache and the baldness and it just creates. Oh, this guy's a pervert. Perfect, and, and he's described in a way that he doesn't—he doesn't strike me as a particularly healthy person no. physically. It, he doesn't either. He, he probably doesn't smell very good. His breath probably smells terrible. He probably—he—he's he, described as though he hasn't taken a shower. Although Fummy doesn't say that. He—he strikes me as someone who hasn't bathed he, in like a month. He feels slimy. Yeah. And oily, uh, oily, like like. Ugh. We all, our skins naturally produce oil. This guy's got a little too much oil on him. You know? <laughs> it's been a, lot, a lot of leftovers from the from the the forties from the war. And oh, the monologuing! I almost, I'm almost tempted to do the entire uh, like Hugo's. Yeah, it's way too long. I'm, I'm not, I <laughs> like. Um, a pleasant interlude, my dear Bond, during which I was able to bring many an Englishman to book, which, Drax beamed coldly at Bond, gave me much pleasure. <laughs> love it. I Are love you, 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 Drax. He's got such great lines. He's such a... He mm. sounds like a movie Bond villain. Yes. He sounds like a movie Bond villain. Yeah. He's great. Uh, oh, And I love... And I loved... and. Honestly, I don't know which Bond I was picturing, but when like he finishes his speech and he's looking for, he's trying to impress Bond, and Bond basically mocks him and mm. calls him, oh, "You're doing this because you're uh, bullied in school, and you're just like sucking your stop, thumbs." Stop sucking your thumb, you big baby. I I don't know which Bond. Like part of me was like, "Oh, f- damn, uh, Roger would have been fine." Yep. Roger, that's a. At the same time, Sean. Sean could have had the attitude, but not as funny. Well, what about in Dr. No when they're at the dinner table and he says, tell me, does the top line of U.S. rockets really make up with a lot of your hands? I love that line. You're right. But that's a a great comeback. And he he gets what he wanted. He wants to... And I realize that Bond does that often. He Hmm. he pisses the villain off just enough so, to get him distracted and get the the advantage some, uh, some way. And going back to what that means for a character like James Bond mm-hmm. is the fact that at the end of the day, he's saving as many lives as he can. So you have, he's, um, I, I don't want to call him a blunt instrument because that, that would be too base, it'd be too gross. He's, he's better than a blunt he's instrument, not- but... The uh, the hero that we uh, want, but the hero yeah, we, we deserve. deserve. <clears throat> Thank Why? you, Batman. Thank you. Fate the Black credits. Hans Zimmer booming it out, rocking boom, it out. Boom, 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 boom. Um, no, but but you're right. I mean, I I know you gave a quote from from the Dark Knight, but but it true. applies to Bond. Yeah. You he's he's 
he's not a nice man, no. but he's doing the right thing. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the devil that does the uh, the work of the angels, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not no, because an angel doing no. Yeah, yeah. He's a devil doing the work of the angels. Yeah, he's a effing asshole <laughs> that is doing what needs to be done so that you and I can go back to our respective homes at night and make ourselves a nice dinner and uh, uh, sleep soundly at night. Yeah, but he's being a complete dick about yeah, it. Yeah, he's he's enjo he's enjoying it too much, but he's also self a little bit self-destructive, which is something oh, I... Smoking and the drinking and... He's uh, trying to... Uh, and he needs the adrenaline. I mean, it makes it quite clear that he doesn't care about these files that he has to study his office. He wants the next mission no, to come along. He wants to. So, so uh, back to... <laughs> uh, he gets uh, Drax to leave them alone in his, his personal office, office. Yeah, the office is below ground very is located very uh close to where the Woundwrecker rocket itself is and this was the object that uh, perplexed me the most the desk slider oh right 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 because yeah, I, I couldn't figure out i couldn't figure out what it was so i had to google it it's a ronson desk lighter i recommend that everyone listening to this googles it because it's a gorgeous object it looks fancy Hmm. It looks very Art Deco. It looks like a. I would have almost mistaken it for a cappuccino maker. But uh, it looks, you know, uh, you you remember the the nineties uh, uh, Batman uh, cartoons? Mm -hmm. Everything's Art Deco in that uh, cartoon, right. so it feels like a Batman gadget. Okay, that cartoon. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. I could use see Batman using them, and batterings come out of it or something. Um, but he manages to use the that that lighter that. Uh, Uh, Drax forgot in his office that when he left Bond and Gala, and he relights a torch they were planning to use to. Clems was going to torch them information. They're smart about it. They give the information they think Drax Drax wants immediately. Therefore, Clems doesn't get to torture them. But they leave because he's distracted Drax with the insult you alluded to. He leaves this lighter, which enables them to uh, melt, I th burn or melt the the cords that are mm -hmm. holding uh, holding them to these chairs. And what do you think of the climax, by the way? Because there's not a lot left in the book. There's barely 30 pages here at this point it, left it, in the book. It, it, it's interesting. It's, it's not like action packed. It's there's it's, a there's a classic Bond gets tortured scene when he gets the yes. hosed and. Burn. Steam, I think. A steam. Steam. Hose. It's a great scene. The way it's described, and they're like trying. They're they're escaping uh, through some pipes, and to chase them, they use the steam, and they they brace themselves, mm -hmm. and they 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 get tortured. They get burnt. And because of the uh, the, the prior day's uh, incident, they're already a little battered and bruised yeah. to begin with. So. But they get even worse. Uh, but they manage to survive, and the well, the the entire accomplice gets abandoned because uh, they're escaping right now because they know they're they're gonna be a uh, person and ungrata once they blow up London. So they they, they leave Bond and Gallo thinking they're dead, uh, and Bond manages to uh, reprogram with gala's great assistance because yeah. she knows the numbers <laughs> she, she he reprograms uh the moonraker so that instead of destroying london it lands somewhere in the ocean mm. on top of <laughs> coincidentally because because that's not that's not, that's something that's not meant to be 
It's it, it just a coincidence. Yeah, it's a bit of a funny... Two two things about that. The funny coincidence that, oh, gee, it also landed on the submarine Drax was escaping in. And is it just me or the passage? There's another chapter after this, another M scene. we got three M scenes here. So there's a, a um, not a post-mortem, a debriefing, mm -hmm. a mission debriefing. And M says something like, uh, oh, yeah, nuclear fallout at Blue North. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the way people thought in the 50s. Yeah, but even, uh, we'll get there and get there, but there's something, I, I've watched the documentary on the making of, and they talk about the Moonraker weapon as just a small rocket. And in 2017, that plot, that nuclear missile is more terrifying than somebody trying to blow up the, the to it's cast a great the, plot why would that not work in 2017 it, it's a great plot why didn't work well it didn't work for them in 1979 because of your favorite uh, movie franchise of all time that's why it yeah didn't work. I know. yeah the book ends rather differently than mm -hmm. any other bond book before and since um well you only lived well, Majesties and Only Live Twice come to mind as weird wendings. Yes, they're different, but it, <laughs> he doesn't get the girl. Well, he doesn't get the girl in Casino Royale either. Well, he, okay, he consumes the girl. Let's just say he has uh, True. Uh, sex with her. True that. And for Bond, it's... <laughs> I. It feels like, uh, I'm just going to go home and take go home and take care of myself, basically, though. I think he has to shut it off. I think he he's not in love with Gallant. This isn't another Vesper Lind no. in his life, but he really legitimately appreciated her. I've read more uh, on her. in Apparently in the continuation novels, he kept in touch with her. Yeah, no, I was fascinated. Interesting. He sends her Christmas cards, apparently. Awesome. Really? Uh, yeah, he kept in touch. Oh, uh, that's awesome. I like apparently that. Apparently she I had... Like that. She had a couple of kids and she's still married, but they kept in touch and thought, no, oh, maybe, maybe if he retires and uh, she's uh, suddenly single, hey, who knows? I, to me, she's so far, she's my favorite Bond girl so far. Like the one. Yeah, well, we know it's, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's slim pickings, but kind of, yeah, she's at the top. And I think, you know, there are many more books to go through and, and, and uh, there, there will be other challengers to the number one spot but i think gala will be number one for a while mm -hmm. i think she'll be number one for a while at least for a few books for a few yeah. books i forgot to do a, se a section that i i love doing i'll go through it very quickly because i love just giving a flavor of where people were at the time um so i'm gonna just go quickly uh, uh, through the year of 1955. So um, January 17th, uh, the USS Nautilus, the first nuclear-powered submarine, put to sea for the first time. Also, uh, James Bond actor Rowan Atkinson, January 6th, 1955, is born. Uh, he played uh, James Bond actor Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, he played a, he played the MI6 contact in Never Say Never Again. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, John uh, John Grisham was born in February of that year. Bruce Willis, uh, March. Um, Mar Marina Sirtis and Bruce Willis were both born in March. They are they're the same age. And hmm. Marina Marina Sirtis, well, a conservatory from Star Trek: Next hmm. Generation. She feels much younger than Bruce Willis. Yeah, like to she? me, yeah, to me, she's still wet in her forties, but she's probably what like her sixties now. 
But I won't complain. Oh, uh, woman's looking good. <laughs> Jim Henson builds the first version of Kermit the Frog. Wow, in 1955. Yeah, prototype. Oh I'm guessing. God. Oh, and for Montreal, for Montreal or Montreal listenership, uh, and. Friends, I guess. Um, March 17, 1955. It's the Richard Riot in Montreal. 6,000 people. Oh, wow. Uh, protested the suspension of Maurice Richard at the time after uh, an altercation during a match where... La Raquette. La Raquette. Raquette Richard. Um, April, Winston Churchill resigns as uh, Prime Minister. Uh, Ray Kroc opened his first McDonald's in April 9, 15, 1955, the first McDonald's. Uh, Kate Mulgrew of Star Trek fame uh, is also born, so is Bill Paxton in May. Uh, Lady in, and the Tramp is the 15th animated film. Uh, it premieres in, on July on Great. June 16th. Disneyland opens on July 17. Uh, the first edition of the Guinness Book Records published in August 27th. Um, other things... <laughs> You went through the entire calendar. Oh, year, Tanya Roberts is born in October 15th. My f- James! You mean James Bond actress uh, Tanya Roberts? Yeah, from A View to a Kill. Mm. Uh, Rob, oh, uh, 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 James Dean uh, dies mm. uh, in the, um, in that year. I don't know where. Oh, uh, September 30th is uh, film Rebel Without a Cause's release posthumously on it's October 27th. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I've never. Oh, it's so good. And the Vietnam War begins between South uh, Vietnamese Army and the North Vietnamese Army. And oh, that, uh, that I found fascinating. General Motors becomes the first American corporation to make a profit of over $1 billion <laughs> in 1955. 1955. That, I, 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 1955, I, I, I'll have to verify, but a billion in 1955 is probably like more money than... Is actually available right now. Uh, oh, and our favorite section, the leftovers. There's a lot of things that are left in that novel that don't make it to the movie. That, but some, <laughs> really? a lot of, lot did make it to the movie, but a, subtly, subtly. Yeah, parts of it were like the ex- Ministry of Defense uh, in Venice. Oh, uh, don't insult me, uh, Bond. Uh, I play bridge with this guy. Like, ah, okay. But, yeah. There's the bridge game for you. Uh, Krebs is uh, my must, that, like my MP, uh, MPV. MVP. MVP. Most valuable player. My MVP. Uh, uh, Most I valuable w- prick. Yeah, I want to see him in a movie. He'd be great as the slimy, uh, <laughs> like too slimy to even fight. Like he punches him and he's in f- he's in Moonraker the movie. He's the guy controlling the the gondola. You know the in in uh, he's, that's Krebs. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Krebs is not there's a there's a proxy for Krebs, but that's not him. Uh, Galabran uh, is has to be used in a movie. Like she she's parts of her were used notions. Because Holly Goodhead works for Drax. She's also playing for the good guys behind. Like it's sort of Galabran, but not so much. Not so much. Um, a little. There's a little bit in the movie. In the in the, in the book. There's a part in the book, and it's not uh, something they can use uh, for an action sequence. It's just a visual. Uh, just, uh, after he's won the game. Um, he, he's, he's driving and he looks at a sign that blinks and for a second he's like what the 
and it says uh, it's uh, it says uh, summer shell is here, but for a se second just he just sees hell is here. Mm. It's been used in another another movie that uh, the neon sign uh -huh. that turns into hell is here. It's not the movie that you're expecting it to be, but I wish they'd use it in a movie. But I'll show you because I kept the notes away from you for exactly this reason. What's going on there? What? Oh my God! It's in oh Batman Returns. God! Oh my God! Hell is here. But it just says hell here. Oh. Initially, our sign uh, one in Batman Returns, Selina uh, Kyle goes into a transformation, but she becomes Catwoman after being bitten by radio radioactive cats. Uh, when she goes home and makes her costume, uh, she has. A Did you say radioactive cats? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she has for some reason neon sun that says hello here uh, hello there and she comes on she breaks the uh, T and the O so it becomes hell here it's like and the two greatest things ever created by by humankind combined <laughs> together Bond and Batman, Batman. but I, I I think it doesn't work for it's just a weird thing in Batman Returns but in the context of the movie because it it creates a creepy impression. I don't know. It creeped me out. It is. It is. It's a simple thing. Something bad is on the horizon. Exactly. There's Something's a, a miss. I wish they could use that in the movie. It's a it's a visual. So I I don't see why they couldn't use that. You just imagine Bond 25, you know, Daniel Craig, DC, my boy. You know, he's driving off to Blades and hell is here and that, that intense stare he has just, or something. Mm, yeah. Grumbles. That would be... So, um, final thoughts? I, I love this story. I've always loved it for the villain, for the location, for the Bond girl, uh, for the Moonraker itself, mm -hmm. for the themes that were prescient at the time and to an extent are still prescient today. Uh, I think it's a great adventure. I love the... <laughs> At this point, you could say Tarantino-esque Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Tarantino does that in every one of his movies these days. Like ch these chapters, these sections. Mm -hmm. um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's extremely entertaining. I think it is the most, from characterization of Bond, Bond girl, villain, and plot, I think it's the most fulfilling book we've read so far. Yeah, The other ones have their qualities, but this one feels like the fullest piece. Fleming has truly found his rhythm. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. has come together. Every single one of the main or supporting players makes sense, and they're great. Whereas in the other books, we, we always had, whether they were major qualms or smaller qualms, we still had our qualms. I I just don't have any in this book. Um. I Final thoughts as for myself. <laughs> I love this book. It's my favorite. Um, I'm I'm worried uh, that it, things aren't going to go down from here. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm a little bit worried because the next one is not. I, I've confessed it's not my favorite one. I I'll think try, you have said that. Yeah. I'll try to have an open mind. Even the movie is not my favorite. I'll try. It's it's weird. It's our, It's going to be our fourth. Uh, oh shit that's true that's the next movie we gotta watch yeah it's, it's gonna be our fourth film and oddly enough it's the first one that we're gonna cover that features Sean Connery as James Bond and oh, it's we have, we've had a Daniel and two Rogers yeah. Uh, yeah I think in England a Roger means something different I shouldn't have put it that way <laughs> but it's gonna be a, a, a strange one uh, but Moonraker the book is great um, there's I mean the best 
the best villain so far, the best Bond girl. A crazy plot. It, it's what you expect from a Bond mo mm. movie. So if it's your uh, it's your first time reading a Bond novel, I would actually recommend this one as your first one. Yeah, yeah. That's I think a lot of people would be tempted to say either Casino Royale or maybe Goldfinger because Goldfinger, the film, is so wildly uh, heralded as, as the best one or among the best ones. But yeah, if you want a good book with a really good story and characters i i'm gonna agree with you i start with moonraker start with moonraker yeah. all right so it's i guess it's a wrap um so uh, where can people find us very quickly oh many places uh we have a twitter account at uh, the the bond complex we have a facebook group page the James Bond Complex on Faith. Just search the I James have, Bond I've Complex. I've launched an Instagram account, the James Bond Complex on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, I'm using Twitter. You're, you're using the Twitter a little not, bit. Not I'm as much using as you it will. quite a bit. I, the Twitter, sure, we're on Instagram. Clearly, I've not been using it. I don't even know how to log in. You, I'm not a big. I'm not the biggest Instagram guy, so I'll let you can. I'll that can be charge. your baby. That can be your baby. Um, and uh, I'm at. Uh, Uh, on Twitter, predominantly at double underscore O O H uh, underscore pop. I'm at at Matt O'Claire. That's simple. Um, so I guess that's it for this episode. So uh, what's going? Where? What's what's next for us? Well, just like James Bond himself, the James Bond complex will return in Moonraker, circa 1979. À la prochaine. Au revoir.